All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check when the puck comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments no. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Yes, hello Canucks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That'll get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic.com. Find them on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, Yell at them outside. They'll be there. Zephyr Epic. They have got you covered for your trading card needs, whether it be the Pokemon, the Yu-Gi-Oh!, the Magic cards, which Quads never talks about, the hockey cards, the basketball cards, and much more. Zephyr Epic has got you covered. So go check them out in their retail location out in Surrey as well as ZephyrEpic.com. The best part about Zephyr Epic is that they ship free anywhere in Canada on any order over $50 from from Magna Bay to Minnedosa. Magna Bay to Minnedosa. Harm, tell me about Mag or what are we talking about? Minnedosa. Tell Minidosa. me about Minnedosa so f- and congratulations on not saying Minnesota. Yeah, I was actually gonna say that's my my, as my first fun fact, it's it's not pronounced Minnesota, it's Minnedosa. And an actual fun fact, the home of former Canucks goalie Kurt Ridley, who played in ninety six games for the Canucks in the nineteen seventies. Love it. You brought a fun fact to the table. I got one for you as well. Minnedosa, also the home of former NHLer Ron Chipperfield. Talk about a name right there, Ron Chipperfield, who was the first captain of the Edmonton Oilers. First captain in Oilers history right there. Pretty good one. They also have a uh, Minnedosa Paddling Club, which is part of the Manitoba Paddling Association. Do you know anyone that paddles? I don't know. No kayak club. In, back in Nanaimo, there's, it's a pretty big deal. The... Uh, I think it's the Kayak Club. I think that's what it's called. Oh, they're on uh, Long Lake in Nanaimo. Shout out to them. Nothing, eh? Nothing. Nothing. You got no I got ro- nothing on paddling. It, it might be called the Rowing Club, now that I think about it, actually. Uh, we won't spend too much time on the cities. This is normally my thing. I didn't prepare well enough. You brought Minnedosa. You did a good job. It sounds like Minnesota. That's a good fun fact. Yeah, I mean, you actually wrote all the notes for these. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I was well prepared to read the notes. Yeah, this is how the sausage is made, folks. Uh, but uh, people know I struggle with these intros here and these ads, so uh, we're missing quads on this week. Uh, but we're also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Absolutely, you killed that. You can use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital Ds, all one word. That's CONVODD. That'll be 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not mu- get much better than that, folks. My name is Chris Faber, and we are without David Quadrelli, and you've already heard him. So let's hit it. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Love it. Harmon Dial stepping in for David Quadrelli, who's on vacation this week. Harm, hot day in the summertime. I know you've been enjoying some time off as well. How's that, how's that been going for you, man? What's the summer been like for Harm? It's been pretty good. A lot of uh, a lot of new experiences. Picked up uh, a couple of new hobbies uh, over the last few months. Badminton, for starters, have gotten really competitive into that. Uh, st- learned how to play poker, so I've been I've been a little bit hooked on that with uh, with some of my friends and also uh also went motorbiking on the, on the, on those mopeds with uh with some of my friends and it's funny because they've motorbiked before on them and I've never done it and they're immediately as soon as we get out a lot of the rental they're like all right we're hopping right on the Camby bridge and we're <laughs> driving right through downtown Vancouver on uh, a busy Saturday so I was terrified of crashing we probably combined between the three of us had about 
30 traffic violations over the next <laughs> three hours. I'm surprised we didn't crash into anything, but made it out all right. And um, and yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I was kind of surprised picking you up and driving you over here uh, to record at my place, which is a little different too. We're not in uh, No No Studio, but you were like when you told me like yeah, I've been like motorbiking, and I was like. Wow, I was like, I was picturing you ripping down like leather jacket down in the Harley. I know you got the leather jacket, so you're all prepared for it. I thought you were going to be on a Harley, but then no, you're ripping mopeds. Yeah, I got to start. Got to start somewhere. Though. Yeah, especially. I'm not gonna lie, I was so terrified of. Uh, you know, my friends are especially because they've done it before. They right. were so, sort of doing those things where they they're weaving in between lanes. I'm like, I can't. I can't do that. I'm not. This is the first time I'm hopping on one of these things, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, ripping down the Camby Bridge was was a blast, and we'll graduate up to the to, to the big motorcycles. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Because at first I was like, "Oh, you went dirt biking? Like, where'd you go dirt biking or whatever?" But the moped, like, how much more confident do you feel now? Next time you're on a moped, now a lot more confident. Yeah. I mean, initially. My my friends were saying, "Oh, let's hop on, uh, let's rent scooters today." So I was picturing those those right. electric scooters that Pedersen and Hughes and those guys <laughs> uh, like to ride on. And so I was, oh, like, I was I was thinking to myself, or oh, you know, nice calm stroll along Kitts Beach or something. And they're like, "No, we're we're renting these mopeds." And I was like, <laughs> "Man, I, I'm not sure I would have agreed to it initially if it was uh, that." But I'm uh, I'm glad I uh, made it out all safe and sound and so, uh, new experiences. You know? So you crossed over from Stanley Park is where I think you said you started. You went yeah. over to North Shore. What are you doing over there and like in North Van? You're ripping the mopeds just around the streets? No, just around like, Stanley Park. Okay, I was going to say the streets might be a little bit better once you cross over into like North Van a little bit for mopeds, I feel like. Yeah, we... Because you weren't downtown Vancouver riding these things, were you? We we went through downtown. Jeez. And on and on the way back, yeah. So that was uh, that was interesting. And, and again, that's where a lot of traffic violations, <laughs> but uh, the people were uh, were understanding. And um, the, I'm just... I, I told my friends, though, because they, they do some stupid things sometimes. They'll, there are kill switches on the mopeds. Mm. So thankfully, they didn't do it to me, but my one best friend to the other best friend, where the first car or like vehicle at a, at a red light in downtown Vancouver, and my, uh, my friend turns on the kill switch, which like <laughs> turns off the vehicle just as it turns green. It peels out. And he's like fumbling the key for like 30 seconds. Meanwhile, cars are honking behind him. And I'm just like, oh, this is the, this is the crazy stuff we get into uh, when you're in your early 20s and yeah. uh, in your time off. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Longtime listeners of the show know that you are a traffic violation guy in general. <laughs> I mean, Were you, in was... the HO... you could ride the HOV lane in the mopeds, right? I, I really hope so because we spent a lot of time in there. I mean, we saw the bike side and we're like, close enough, right? Yeah, fair enough. Well, hey, we haven't had much Canucks news, so I feel like we're not going to get into like a ton of like things that have happened recently. I know that there's some some JT Miller stuff that uh, Rick Dollywell dropped and in what like a, tw- a long tweet tweet twit longer or something. Yeah, I've never heard of this thing before. See, the other day I know that we could get into some of that, but we covered JT Miller a lot over the past, past couple of weeks. Don't really want to get into that too much, but I want to bring it, it's been a while since we've been able to kind of chat lineups with you. And I know quads and I did this a few weeks ago, kind of just like projecting what our lineups look like. And, and I want to start with a guy that it's funny because I feel like the Canucks made a pretty big investment here with Ilya Mikheyev. I mean, you're paying um, you know, close to $5 million at four years. This is a big investment for what you're paying for a winger. And we'll talk about wingers a little bit later on in the episode, but something that we kind of had a disagreement on quads and I was talking about the lines. Uh, I had Mikheyev playing with JT Miller and Connor Garland. 
Uh, and I sat you down here, and geez, you, you took a lot of notes. I feel like it's, uh, you know, I got to see your brain at work a little bit here, how many different line combinations you made and scribbled out here on your sheet. But you came to one that you like to see Mikheyev play with. So maybe we'll just get your opinion on what you would like to do. If, if Harmon Dial was the coach, what he would put together for his top nine. Uh, and let's start with the Mikheyev line. I want to hear who you think makes the most sense with the Canucks' newest signing. Yeah, so in making this top these top nine line combinations, I think it wasn't so much about who does Mikhaev fit best with specifically, because I think he's a pretty versatile player type where, where you look at his attributes, like the speed, the, the two way upside, the ability to win puck battles and, and get, and get the puck back. That's a uni- Those are universal skills that will work on pretty much any line and in pretty much any role. So in trying to construct these lines, if anything, I was looking at, the other personnel within the top nine and, and what fit fits need to work and then trying to work my way backwards and, and figure out how, well, how do I slot Mikhaev in? So hold on, before you go any further, what, where would you start with like a player that needs a fit? Can you give me an example yeah. of a player that like needs to be with a certain pair of players or yeah. a player that kind of needs support? Is that what you're talking about? With yeah, exactly. So for starters, I mean, Right off the top, I think Patterson and Besser need to play together. Right. When you look at their career points per uh, points uh, per hour at five on five, when they're together versus when they're apart, and even just the lines overall results, both players are way better together than they have been apart. When you look at their career so far, especially someone like Besser, who he hasn't, for example, been a great fit with Bo Horvat outside of Besser's rookie season. Besser obviously was able to click with with Miller, so there's some potential there. But I just feel when we've seen Pedersen and Besser at their best, they've been together, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's a combination that you need to have. The second was not necessarily about a specific line, but I think Andre Kuzmenko, I want him on a sheltered line to start. There's going to be a lot for him to adjust to when you consider the fact that he's never played in North America NHL caliber competition, especially at the start of the season, you have a lot of situations where, let's say, a, a player like Alexander Barabanov, who came over to the Leafs as a Russian free agent signing, and if you don't put these players in positions to succeed, sometimes it takes them a while to get off the ground. Mm. Barabanov, for example, wasn't a fit in Toronto, got moved to San Jose, and all of a sudden he was a solid middle six uh, caliber forward for the Sharks, right? So I want to put Kuzmenko in the best position to succeed, and I think... I want him to be sheltered in, in an offensive role. So in, in 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 sort of thinking about that, right off the top, I'm like, Horvat's probably not a fit then because I'm probably going to have Horvat still playing tough matchups, and I'll explain why later. Uh, Pedersen doesn't necessarily work because if you have Pedersen, Kuzmenko, uh, Besser, I'm like, who's going to get the puck back? Yeah. Though all, all three guys aren't, and I mean, Patterson's learned some of those attributes over time. I, I don't, I, I think he can absolutely work hard and, and thrive in that situation. But I think you at least need one guy on the wall that can um, work hard to get the puck back. So to me, I'm thinking about it and I'm going, I like the idea potentially of Miller and Kuzmenko together on a, on a sheltered scoring line. And, and that's not to say that they're a third line or that they won't play less minutes. It just means I, I don't, I'm not going to deploy them against the other team's best players. Right. And you got Pearson there with them. I think that yeah. something that, that is talked about so much about 
these players coming over from Europe, and Kuzmenko's a great example of it. I always bring up the Niels Huglander example of how different was Niels Huglander's line mates when he was playing third line minutes in the SHL, which was what he was doing before he left. Came to North America, was playing in the top six with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson. I think if you look at it that way, it also can help the offense even for Kuzmenko because he's never played with a distributor like JT Miller or he's never played with a guy who works on the boards as well as Tanner Pearson does because he was in the KHL. And unfortunately, like as good as the KHL is, these players are that much better. So it's going to be interesting to see how that fit kind of goes to the equation as well of, yeah, it's going to be difficult because he's going to get matchups against NHL players. But if you look at it from a positive side, he's now also playing with much better line mates as well. So it'll be interesting to see how much more his skill kind of shines with players like that. 100%. And so that was kind of my second second line. I mean, second and third line, it's basically 2A, 2B. It's not, there's no real, I think, separation between them, uh, between these lines really. But yeah, I had Pearson... Uh, on the left wing, Miller, and then uh, and then Kuzmenko. Assuming he's he's able to move to the right wing. If not, then we can talk about other combinations. Yeah, but and a lot of people say he only plays left. I've seen him play both. Like mm-hmm. I've seen him in the lineup a lot of times, starting on the left wing for when he was playing with Scott. But he's played both sides. Like he can do the right wing just as much as he can do the left wing. I know that he played more on the left wing, but I don't think it's going to be hard for him to switch to the right. Yeah, and people might not like the idea of Pearson in the top six, but you look back last season, especially around the New Year or so. Or, or just before the new year, Pearson and Miller worked so well together off of the cycle with uh, Pearson being able to do a lot of the dirty work down low to get the puck back and Miller sort of excelling as a distributor. And then the benefit there for Kuzmenko is he doesn't have to do the hard work necessarily of digging for pucks down low. He knows that, okay, Pearson's gonna, Pearson and Miller can can do a lot of that dirty work. I just need to flash my offensive skill here, yeah. and and then and the other advantage of having Pearson on that line is, if you were to have say, let's say Miller and uh, you think of Miller and Kuzmenko, neither guy is particularly great defensively. So I think it's important to have uh, a strong uh, a strong defensive piece there. Um, so and then not only strong, but I think smart, right? Smart, like, yeah, smart's exactly. The other way I would look at it with Tanner reliable. Pearson, where it's like I, you know, when the Canucks first acquired Tanner Pearson, I really liked his start. Obviously, I had a good start with the Canucks when they traded for him, but it just felt like for a while, like his game has actually grown on me quite a bit to see how well he's in the right spot a lot of the times, how much he wins board battles in the offensive and defensive zone, like. He has grown on me quite a bit, and it is interesting to see the piece, how you're kind of using him now. Like, when I made my lineup, it was similar. I had Pearson and Horvat with Kuzmenko for kind of the same reason that you mentioned off-air was, like, it's a softer landing spot for Kuzmenko to play in that spot. That's why I had him with Pearson and Horvat, because it felt like they've done that before with a guy like Niels Huglander, who both of these players you can really trust in Horvat and Pearson to play together. You're kind of looking at it the same way with the Miller and Pearson pairing, but putting Kuzmenko there, it feels like you're looking for more offense, which is... You know, fair, because now the Canucks have some depth in their top nine, or at least a lot of pieces that you can move around. Putting Kuzmenko in an offensive spot is kind of the move that you kind of have to go with right now. Definitely. And then in terms of the top line, I've got Pod Colson, Pedersen, Besser. And the reason for that is Pod Colson obviously can excel as a complimentary puck retriever. And I don't want this top line necessarily to be going up against the other team's best players. I, I don't need them to be sheltered, but I, I'm not going to use them as, say, like a matchup line. And the reason I say that is in this sort of situation with Patterson and he has Pod Colson and Besser as his wingers, neither guy is particularly particularly dynamic, right? Besser has a shot. He's improved a lot as a playmaker. He's super smart. 
he's best is really good at get at putting himself in the right spots in the offensive zone to take advantage and and find the soft spots in the opposition's coverage. Uh, and and Pod Colson again can do a lot of the dirty work. He's got some complementary playmaking upside. But neither guy, for example, is going to be carrying the puck up the ice of the neutral zone, or or neither is um, a top or or a really high end playmaker. And so that means a lot of the playmaking responsibility, a lot of the responsibility for carrying the puck up the ice, for making things happen off the rush, that's going to fall on Pedersen. And if you also then say matchup against McDavid every night, right. that's a lot in terms of you're asking him to, to carry a lot of the mail offensively for transporting the puck up the ice, making plays. And now you're also asking him to handle a lot of really difficult defensive minutes. I think you want them just to play standard top six minutes. And then that leaves me to... Well, Quickly on that line, because that's the line that, like, that's what I have as my top line. Yeah. Pod Coles and Pedersen Besser as well. That's who I see playing the most minutes at 5-on-5. Five five. I think yours might be a little bit different. But I look at that, and you say, maybe you're missing a playmaker. I found it so interesting. The year that the lotto line had so much success, a massive percent of the time, Quinn Hughes is on the ice with the lotto line. I look at that trio of Pod Coles and Pedersen and Besser, and in my mind, I think you put Quinn Hughes out there, there's another playmaker in the offensive zone, which would be massive for you. So I'd like to see that line get a lot of Quinn Hughes's ice time. And that's what I think can really help because you're right. Like you have, you have good playmaking there. I think like you can trust Pedersen and you can trust pod Coles and Besser like to all make plays. But when you really get that X factor of like adding the fourth guy in on the offense and it's Quinn Hughes, like that's when that line I think can have the most success is putting four playmakers together with three guys who, you know, can finish like pod yeah. Coles. And I think even talked about it in the off season uh, in one of his interviews that he did in Russia where he was like, he was he was not happy about his finishing ability. Like he said, like I could have had twenty goals if I was actually able to finish. Like I know I can. And Pedersen obviously gets thirty. Besser is this the year he gets thirty. I think having Quinn Hughes just get all that ice time with that specific line. Like if I'm really thinking about all these lines and I'm thinking which one could use or, or would be able to utilize Quinn Hughes's boost to it the most. Like that's the trio that I think of. Definitely agree with that. And then obviously with the with the third line. I have it constructed, and it's not really a third line in the traditional sense at all. Again, it's more of a 2A, 2B. I've got uh, Mikhaev, Horvat, Garland. And the reason I have Mikhaev in that spot is because Horvat's been in a really tough spot in terms of the shutdown rule uh, of being thrown to the Wolves, all these difficult minutes. And Mikhaev brings a ton of defensive skill, a ton of that speed. And he he and yeah, I mean Horvat's had Pearson that in that spot, but Mikhaev is still a, a much superior two way piece, uh, a much better play driver because of his speed, because of how he can break plays up. And then I like the addition of Garland in that spot because when you consider the skill set of Mikhaev and Horvat, they're both players that play in straight lines, play a pretty direct game. The one thing that they don't have as a duo is playmaking ability, yeah. right? You need someone to set those guys up. Those those guys can can create chances, but they, they need someone to distribute the puck, and that's where Garland's at his best at 5-on-5, five five, and I think he's reliable enough to where you could trust him. Uh, against top players, I don't think he's going to make uh, egregious defensive mistakes, um, and he has historically been a pretty strong uh, play driver at uh, at even strength, so I like that combination. And the, and the one thing to keep in mind is when you consider the second and third lines there, I think you could experiment and and let's say Pearson and Miller don't get off to the right to get off to their best start you could always go and flip flip those two and go Mikhaev Miller Kuzmenko and have that sort of be your 
sheltered scoring line. And, and you know Pearson's fine in a matchup role if he has to go with Pearson uh, or if Pearson has to go with uh, Horvat and Garland. So there's, so looking, there's some flexibility there. With the line that you have put together, that's the line that you mentioned earlier. Like, you don't want to see the Pedersen line getting McDavid all, light, all night. This is your line. McKayev, Horvat, yeah, Garland. And that, to me, like, also, we talked about, like, having a defense pairing match up with them. That line gets the OEL Myers pairing. Bit, Definitely. Right? Because that would be what you would be matching up. And I really like the idea of Mikhaev's speed in in that sort of defensive shutdown role. And that's really what he did in uh, in Toronto, right? They entrusted him. They entrusted uh, David Kampf and Pierre Engvall. And they used that line to soak up a lot of D-zone draws and... I don't because you have a player like Garland. I don't think you need to. I don't. I don't think you need to be too extreme in terms of always starting them in the, in the defensive zone. And again, they're going to be fed a lot more minutes than a typical third line. Mm. And um, and and so from that perspective, I, I like that as one potential fit. But with Makayev, again, I could see him working as, for example, I could see him working well even with Pedersen if if he had to be the sort of retriever there. He just has a versatile skill set. Obviously, there, there are limitations, and you need to be cognizant of the fact that he's not really going to have any playmaking touch or, or upside there, so you need to construct your lines accordingly. But it, he's he's got a pretty vanilla skill set that works well pretty much everywhere. It's not difficult to sort of slot him in with, uh, w- with different centermen. And it feels like a different type of winger than we've seen in Vancouver in a long time to me, right? Like, it feels like a guy who, you mentioned it, like, you, you would use him, you could use him in a matchup role. Like, you could use him on the line that's going up against top competition, but you also said it there, like, you could use his speed to be able to maybe create some some havoc in the defensive zone playing with a Pedersen and a Besser. So it, it is going to be really interesting to see how he's used and I guess the other thing is, like, for me, that line that you talked about of Mikheyev, Horvat, and Garland, like, that line to me just, like, screams three-on-twos and two-on-ones. And that's where you want to get a lot of your offense from. And I think that's when Horvat's at his best, is on the rush, right? Like, I I don't think that that's the strength in Horvat's game is, like, when the cycle's happening in the offensive zone. His strength is when, you know, you see him at his best, like he was in the bubble against the St. Louis Blues, being able to just go up one-on-one against a defenseman, if you have Mikheyev as, like, the other forward coming down with you, even in, like, a two-on-two situation, if you're going in there with Mikheyev and Horvat, two-on-two on defenseman, like, you're feeling pretty decent about at least getting a good good chance to at least have a scoring chance. Like, you might not get a scoring chance every time, but if one move is pulled off correctly, you have the speed of Mikheyev, you have Horvat's ability to kind of not not necessarily rely on his speed, but rely on his ability to... I guess, like, get scoring chances off by himself, even with defensemen on him. And then you have, like, the trailer of, of Connor Garland. Like, that trio, to me, just screams rush attack. Yeah, and it might even be, in a, be a situation where, because Horvat's not, like, a traditional center, where a lot of centers, a lot of lines are constructed in a way where the center will, will play, will sort of stay deep in the defensive zone, and will want to support the break breakout, carry the puck out of the defensive zone through the neutral zone. What's interesting is when you look at Horvat's profile over the last few years, he doesn't create a lot of zone exits. And it's because he almost plays more like a winger in the sense of uh of of when there's a change in possession, he likes to flee first out of the zone. And if someone feeds him the puck, that's when he's the one carrying the puck on a two on two uh, or two on one or a three on two sort of situation, and because of that, Mikhaev has a speed, but Garland also is pretty effective off the counter uh, counter attack. So Mikhaev's defensive uh, 
defensive sort of responsibility and skill set and uh and the way and, and just the tilt that he has to not necessarily cheat for offense that might that might even work in in the sense of him being a safety net for for Horvat and, and allowing Horvat to be able to pick his spots and and gamble a little bit in in the right situations to flee up the ice knowing that uh, he has the cover of of a player like Mikhaev. so it might even be a scenario where a guy like Mikhaev is uh, is is commonly the the trailer, and he's catching up with his speed and getting getting up on his high horse to turn it into uh, a three on two. I love how we're saying the name differently too. I'm going Mikhaev until I get. I don't told know. Otherwise. I haven't heard the I heard <laughs> the official pronunciation, so I I honestly flip flop between. Yeah, the two. it's it's fair. We'll we'll have to get it uh, for sure. I think somebody asked in a Zoom call, but I can't remember. I I want to get. Uh, we touched on a name a little bit. I think I brought him up when we were talking about Europeans coming over from their leagues to play in this league. When you look at your top nine, I, like I think Tanner Pearson's an option. I think Andre Kuzmenko might be the option. I don't really see any of the other names being an option. But which name gets bumped if Huglander is in your top nine? And is that a real possibility at all? Because we, the way that Quads and I have been talking lately, like I don't know, man. The more, the more and more we like put lineups together, talk about lineups, talk about what each line needs to have for a strength. Like it, it I, I wouldn't predict it on opening night, but it really wouldn't surprise me more and more that we talk about it if Huglander is not on the NHL roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to chew on there. I haven't considered or really thought about that possibility too deeply. I think there there is a factor to keep in mind of a player's psychology right, and where his confidence level is at because... By midseason, I think Hoaglander really was struggling with his confidence. He was pretty honest about that with me, for example, when on the New York trip in February, I, I was able to kind of catch him after a morning skate and do a one-on-one interview. And so from that perspective, you have to be careful of if you're sending a guy down, what message is he taking away from that? Is he going to feel down on himself? You don't want him to feel like he's going backwards. But let's say he does uh, have a really strong camp and is able to sort of crack the top nine in that situation. I mean, I look at Kuzmenko for starters, just because especially right at the start of the season. Yeah. It it might take him time to adjust, right? There was a learning curve for pod Colson, right? If you remember in preseason, he looked, he looked lost. Right. And it really took him a lot of time to to they figure strapped things him out with Miller all through the preseason through training camp. And and there was nothing there, but it wasn't happening, right? Like you had to move him into a different spot. Pod Colson, yeah, it was mid season when Pod Colson really found his stride. So because of that, it wouldn't surprise me that even though Kuzmenko has a high ceiling, if it takes some time, especially because we don't know, we don't know how he's going to be defensively, right? And that's one yeah. of the biggest things coaches look at for trust, and and that's why a player like. Pearson, even though I could see a scenario where Hoaglander does leapfrog him, a player like Pearson is, I feel like, always reliable because of his reliability, because of his consistency, because you know that he's not going to make mistakes, because he's the safe option. Coaches just like, like safe. They, they like the idea of if I'm sending a player over the boards, I know exactly what I'm going to get out of right. this guy. And even if he's not the most dynamic player, he's going to be able to the able to fill a role they'd rather take that over the lottery ticket of i'm sending a, a kuzmenko or or a, or a hoagland over the boards and he might make an outstanding offensive play and, and pull a, a, a rabbit out of the hat 
or he might turn the puck over at the offensive blue line and we've got an odd man rush back coming back against us, right? And I think that's something coaches always have in mind. And for that reason, I think Kuzmenko is the first name that I'd be looking for in terms of who might Hoaglander be able to uh, leapfrog. But yeah, I think Pearson's obviously going to be part of that uh, discussion as well. With Kuzmenko, like you said there, like you could have nights where both of them are in the lineup. One's playing in the top nine, one's playing in the fourth line. The guy who's in the top nine isn't going. You could flip-flop, right? Like that could be an option. But does that put a wrench at all in what you want to see from your fourth line on a nightly basis. And I think that's the way that we've been looking at it to say that might be why Huglander's not in the lineup. You know, they they want to have, obviously, Curtis Lazar going. Um, is Jason Dickinson a guy who's playing every day on your fourth line? Uh, are you The way that they've talked about Dakota Joshua, it sounds like he's going to be a guy who's every day on your fourth line. And if they have a fourth line that they like the way they play, like say maybe that is the group. Say that's Lazar, Joshua, and Dickinson, and they play good as a fourth line. Could because in my eyes, there's potential for that. Like there's absolutely yeah. potential for that to be a very good fourth line when you're matching up against other teams' fourth lines. So they could have a good matchup. They could play really well together. Maybe they don't. We don't know at this point. But if they are playing good, I don't think Huglander gets into the lineup at that point. And then it's like, do you want him to just be an extra forward, or do you want to send him to the HL where he can, you know, doesn't have to worry about waivers? He could be playing top minutes. I just think of it as the way that I might look at it from Patrick Alvin's view is a player in Huglander's situation. Do you need to continue to give him the carrot or do you need to give him a push at a certain point? Like, do you need to give him the stick a little bit to say, Hey, you got to go down here and prove that you are going to be very committed to the defensive zone, to working into the system that we want to have run. We have a new coach now in the AHL who's going to be probably running like a very similar system to the whole organization. I think that's something that we'll see this year a little bit more than the past where you need to be good defensively and it needs to be the same type that Boudreaux wants to run at the NHL level. That's why I think that there is a chance. Like, where, where would you put the odds of that actually happening? Because I know you talked about confidence. I know you talked about uh, being able to move him around the lineup. It's just... There's so many things, the more we talk about it, that makes me think that it's a real possibility. Like, what would you put the chances of that actually happening, of of Huglander starting the season in the AHL to get, I don't know, prove that he can be good defensively, prove that he's healthy? There's a lot of things that he still kind of needs to prove. And and listen, I, I love the player. Like, when, when Huglander's going, I, I thought he was one of the best creators of 5-on-5 five five offense in his rookie season on the whole Canucks team. Like, he fit in excellent. I think when he's on and in the offensive zone, he not only can make good plays, but also is so good at retrieving pucks and being just just a menace in the corner on people. And, and I think that that's really good. Like, I still think that there's potential for him to be a top-nine player moving forward as soon as next season. But I wonder if the different view from a different general manager who has kind of had a history of, you know, it's okay to keep someone in the AHL, especially in this position where you don't have to worry about waivers or anything. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Huglander down there. I don't mean to cop out, but before I've, I hesitate to really put a percentage or, or odds on it before I've sort of made calls and, and, yeah. and tried to get uh, get thoughts from people inside the organization and, and get a sense of, of how they feel about that idea. I think my, I wouldn't worry too much about that necessarily just because two things. Number one, I imagine there's, even if Kuzmenko hits the ground running, I imagine there's, there's likely going to be some bumps in the road. And when you consider that possibility, when you consider the fact that I remember us talking about the top nine last season and how perfect it looks, it doesn't take long for injuries or illnesses to strike or for a player like Jason Dickinson to 
I mean, we had really we had you know reasonably high expectations for him, yeah. and and he all of a sudden underperforms. It doesn't take a lot for sort of you can plan things out in August, and and everything looks looks amazing, and and it looks like everything's packed, and really there's not enough opportunity, and and that's very true today. But who knows that that that's the scenario at the end of October? Yeah, I agree. Ten games into the season, you know, they're not on the ice right now. Exactly, that's, that's the thing, right? That is the thing. This is and this is off season lo- chat, but they're not playing right now. We're not seeing what it actually looks like. In the, you're right, like you're bang in our minds. It sounds great, you know, to to think that Huglander could just be swapping in and bringing in when somebody's down. You bring him to the top nine. It makes a lot of sense. But you're you're bang on where you need to see these guys play first of all. And exact, and I mean, just think about the end of um, end of uh, last season, right? We had this amazing top nine, and then we we had a scenario where Alex Chason was in the top six, and I'm trying to remember who the guys were. I almost don't want to remember because it, it felt so bleak down down the stretch where Patterson was basically putting the whole team uh, on his back. But you you just had, I think, seven of the Canucks' twelve forwards at one point were were just like nobodies in, yeah. in, in a way and and that was crazy to think about considering what we thought about them in the summer and obviously this year's top nine is is even deeper and, and that's why there is a genuine barrier for uh for Hoaglander he's also coming off injury which I, I wonder how that complicates things in, in terms of his summer training and and how quickly is he able to to kind of get up to speed and so it's going to be really inter- interesting but uh yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I, I'd be sort of cognizant of in making this decision of, of how to uh, play this is you've got to be really aware of a player's psychology because when it comes to the highest level, it really does not take much for to to sort of hurt a player's confidence to the point where they're second-guessing themselves. And for as much as hockey is all, is is dependent on talent and in, 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 in your actual attributes on the ice, it's such a mental game too. I mean... When a player's really going, what do they always say? They say that they're just playing instinctually. They're not really thinking. They're not second-guessing themselves. They're just in a flow state, right? And when you're second-guessing yourself, when you don't have confidence, it's so hard to get into a flow state. And that's where, I mean, above all, I I would really need to know where where is Hoaglander's headspace at? Because really, this is about development too, right? It's not necessarily about how how do we land the best results for next season, Hoaglander needs to be, in my opinion, you look at the sort of talent that he is, the fact that he had immediate success at, what, 20 years old and in, in that bubble uh, bubble season. I, I think even when you look back at that 2019 draft class, there were barely any players, even in the first round, who've played as yeah. many games as he has. So there's real talent there. He's proven it. I mean, he was top 50 in, in 5-on-5 points in, that se- in his rookie season. He was dependable defensively. Uh, from a two-way perspective, he didn't have as many hiccups. Um, so I, I, I would have this development. I, I think that that really needs to be kept in mind in whatever decision you make. And I think to that degree, like I can argue it from both sides where it's like, I, I know Swedish players that come over from the SHL aren't the biggest fans of the AHL. If you're going to come over from the SHL, yeah. you want to be in the NHL. That just seems to be something that a lot of SHL players do. I also look at it the other side of, of you brought it up, like, he's coming off an injury. Does he need a little bit of scoring confidence from the AHL? Could that be a help to his confidence? Or as a Swedish player is just going to the AHL, such a thing that you do not want to do that. It crushes your confidence. Even if he goes down there and puts up, you know, 14 points in his first nine games in the AHL, like, which is very possible. 
and he'd be playing with really good players down there. He'd be, you know, Sheldon Dries and Phil DiGiuseppe on his line. Like, they'd be ripping up the AHL. But because it's the AHL, does that even help your confidence for a Swedish player? I think that's a real tough thing to kind of balance because, like, it, it just seems that way. And I think we, we might even see that play out with, like, a Niels Amund here where if he doesn't get a chance to be right in the NHL, does he just want to go back to Sweden? Does he want to go to the AHL? Like, I, I think that's something that Swedish players, I've just noticed over the past few years here, at least anyways, it's not... It, it's it's just more comfortable to go to the SHL, and I don't think that's going to happen to Huglander. I, I think he's staying in North America. He's pretty set, but it also really helps that in in Huglander going to the AHL, if he does, he's not going across the country and down into Utica, right? Now that yeah. he's here in Abbotsford, I don't think it's as big of a deal if he is sent down like mentally that way, so I'm wondering if that's where he can get his confidence from looking at it that way, and I think that might be the way that that you really look at Patrick Alvin like being someone to talk to him, let him know the situation, be able to explain to him, you know, he's obviously Patrick Alvin from Sweden can kind of say like, Hey, this is the situation. And we know he would get it more than I would for sure to kind of explain to him. So I, I see it from both ends. Like I, I just don't think, I think the worst possible thing is, is having him be an extra forward and he's coming off of a groin injury and he's a healthy scratch. Like that would be the worst thing. Cause you wouldn't be able to get into game speed going to be tough for him to come back from it. I mean, he got surgery in the offseason. I'm sure that, you know, it's 2022, so surgeries are pretty damn good, but you still need to get just that rhythm and that rhythm back to the game. So I, I, I would way rather have him in the HL playing minutes than just being like, even getting like fourth line minutes where he's not doing anything on either po- like power play or penalty kill. And he's playing what, like seven, eight minutes a game. Like that's a tough spot for Huglander as well. And the other challenge is obviously I, he didn't land a good first impression Boudreaux. Exactly. We saw his minutes tank. And now he's got the new guy, Mikheyev, coming in. They got Kuzmenko, who, like, they didn't promise top six minutes, but they really want to give him that. You know, there, there's it is a tough spot. Like, it's a very interesting situation. It's going to be, like, that's going to be really telling just to see, like, who Huglander's playing with on day one of training camp. Like, who's he skating with on day one of training camp? Is he skating with, you know, Sheldon Dries and Phil DiGiuseppe, or is he skating on a line with Horvat and Pearson? Like, anything could really happen. I think it's pretty telling to see where Huglander gets put on the first day of training camp. Yeah, and the other thing too is I don't think we can discount the possibility where we're still not far removed from Hoaglander being two years ago the best player. Yep. In or not even two years ago at the start, just at the start of twenty twenty one, being the best player at, at Canucks camp and just grabbing the opportunity and running with it. So he has control over this. He's yep. still it's this is still within his control to win a spot. He can best out a player like Kuzmenko. A player like Pearson, even a player like Pearson, we talk about a, uh, a guy like Hoaglander not being a great fit in a, in a fourth line role. Pearson's fine in a fourth line role. So, if if it ever came to that, so it's just up to Hoaglander now to get healthy, and we'll see where, where he's at in camp. I sure hope he does, man, because like you know, when he's playing his game, God, like he's I think such he's, an impact player at five on five. I I, I really uh, he's a talent I would bet on. Yeah, me too. I think you need. Just the sense I get from 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 knowing him a little bit is he is because of his personality someone who can get down on himself, and I don't know if giving him the stick is the right treatment necessarily. I think but it's he's, almost like to me, it's don't give him the carrot either. It's like you don't need to push him, but you don't need to reward him. Like exactly, you don't it, you don't need to give just, him the carrot either. Yeah, you just kind of want to let it play out with him because I think you trust in the player. 
right? Exactly. And that's I, I like I talked to uh, to his coach at Ruglow over there, Chris Abbott, mm-hmm. uh, in the offseason because Marco Casper was a guy the draft. I thought Canucks were in spot for him. And chatting with him, we talked about Casper quite a bit. And I had to ask about Huglander and Cider as well. So I asked him about Huglander, and he was like, Casper is the same way as Huglander, where he's always the first guy that rank. And I know you hear this often with players, but like you see it at practice. We all see it at practice here for the Vancouver Canucks at morning skate. It's Pod Colson and Huglander. They're out there early and they're the last guys off the ice. People even see it in warmups, right? Like the last guys yeah. always come off the ice. It's, you know, it's Pod Colson, it's Huglander, it's Pedersen, it's Hughes. They're all one time in passes together. But that's the t- like, I think that that's why, and, and I'm glad we both agreed on it. He doesn't need the stick or the carrot because you kind of just want to keep the players like mentality the way that it is and just hope that he works himself into that spot. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah. All right, we'll get to uh, a little bit of a break here. On the other side, we got our poll question. We're going to chat a little bit more about wingers uh, and, and kind of the way that the Canucks roster has been set up and maybe what might make it a little bit more difficult uh, for them to make trades and change things on the back end, as well as how wide open the Western Conference is and how the Canucks might be able to sneak into the playoffs. So we got that, the poll question. Also, I'll give a prospects report. Been watching the World Juniors. We got a lot of action, actually, over in Europe now for some Canucks prospects playing games. So we'll break all that down on the other side. But first, a quick break. So as Quad says, as he's right now golfing, keep it locked, keep it loaded. Here on Canucks Conversation? I think that's how he finishes it. Anyways, break time. We'll, uh, We'll see you on the other side. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further into the episode, we have to give a quick shout out to our friends at Montana's. Montana's is the barbecue expert in Canada. They smoke their ribs in-house every day, and then they sauce and fire grill them to order. Montana's legendary all-you-can-eat ribs promotion is on now, seven days a week until the end of summer. Come in for all-you-can-eat ribs and get Montana's messy to win weekly prizes. Chris, do you have a little Montana story for I us? I tell you, go get the apple uh, butter barbecue sauce, the best sauce they got there. And listen, the ribs are great. Do the all-you-can-eat ribs. 
But if you're not in the mood for ribs, four cheese spin dip. They got an incredible spinach dip in Montana, as you know it. And, and you can find the barbecue sauce at the store as well. Take home a bottle with you. There you Apple go. butter barbecue. Excellent stuff. So be sure to go visit Montana's where they have certified smoke and grill masters doing all of the barbecuing with seven locations throughout British Columbia. Shout out Nanaimo. Including Nanaimo, British Columbia, Langley, Tawasin, Prince George, Victoria, Fort St. John, and Kelowna. Be sure to go check out Montana's Barbecue and Bar today. And a big thank you to the sponsors of the Canucks Conversation. Help us pay for Harm's wage to come in here and podcast with me. What do you spend all the money on, Harm? Do you buy gold, crypto? What do you spend all this money on? I save a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, what do I spend money on? Probably shoes. Right. You said shoes before. I house. bought a pair of Vans yesterday. What's the most schools. expensive, uh, piece of like clothing or shoes that you own? You got one piece that you were like, I got to get this. I'm going to spend the money on it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. The leather jacket was 500. Yeah. But like 500 bucks for that. Yeah. Jeez. It made for a fire Instagram photo though. It, it did. It's, it's my favorite jacket by far and it, it'll last me a long time. So it was worth the investment. That's fair enough. That's good. I, I try to think like the biggest thing that I, I like this laptop was pretty expensive buying a new laptop, but I needed one. I had a laptop from like yeah. 2012 for a longest time. I just got this like this past like uh, five months ago or so. And this thing has been a game changer. So I'm pumped for it, but I've worried because this laptop's huge. Like I think it's a gaming laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the, it's the Acer nitro. So I believe it's a gaming laptop. I'm worried about it in the press box. Cause the little, the ledge is so small. It's good for all you guys in your Mac, your little MacBooks. But this thing's gonna look stupid up there. Told you, you were you went with That's an right. inferior product compared <laughs> to the MacBook. So yeah, I didn't think it. Like I should have worried about the ledge. Big clunky, heavy windows. <laughs> when you could have been on a clean, light operating system like Mac OS. I'll be playing like playing Fortnite. When the games get real yeah. boring, I'll have the gaming setup. Though I'll just bring the Xbox controller. We'll be all good to go. Be streaming from Rogers Arena. Well, there you go. That's at least one one uh, upside. One of the positives. All right, let's get to our poll question. Brought to you by Atlas Goods. You can use our promo code CC15 to get fifteen percent off your first order of Pop Rinds. Locally owned Atlas Goods. Check them out. Atlas GDS INC on Twitter. We should yeah, we, we should have mixed in uh, some some pork rind nachos maybe one day. We'll get you going on those. Yeah, maybe. Maybe one day. Maybe Pick not. Pick eater. <laughs> I know you are, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> it's a, what what's your what's your nacho go to? Sour cream or salt are you salsa guy? I feel like you're not even salsa. Salsa. Yeah. Yeah. I don't eat a lot of nachos though, to be honest. I like the the just the uh, the bear chips, the, okay. the tortilla chips and then with salsa. I like that. I I'm not a big not nachos guy though. Were they ketchup ever? No. Nachos and ketchup? No, I'm not, I'm not that much of a savage. All right, just making sure. Let's get to our poll question, uh, episode 288 poll question. Where do you predict Vancouver finishes in the Pacific Division next season? The options, and people are mad about the options here. First or second, third, wild card spot, or missing the playoffs. People are mad because I didn't, uh, and this is my fault. This is my fault. I normally give quads so much crap for it. But the I'm angry didn't make it into the poll. That's on me. That is that is on me. I looked and I, we already had like 200 and something votes. Couldn't repost it. So that's a big, that's my fault. Because the I'm angry crowd, I don't know where they're going right now. Because we normally get, like it's it's 8% of people normally that are that are always in the I'm angry crowd. Can't get it this week. Well, who can be angry in mid-August when the weather's Oh August. man, you should, see, well, you've seen some of the poll questions the way they answer. And look at all the replies. Everyone's angry. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to it. Um, 
I think we're going to discuss this more as looking at the Western Conference as a whole and looking at how things have changed. Uh, Quads and I have spent a little bit of time chatting about this in the past, so I think we'll we'll kind of get your opinion, Harm, where the Canucks, but we'll talk our way into where we think they finish. So let's look at last year's Western Conference and more specifically the Pacific Division. Uh, the Calgary Flames, they finished first with 111 points. Oilers are in second with 104. The Kings come in third with 99 and those are the only three teams from the Pacific that end up making the playoffs. The wild card two teams, Dallas Stars, Nashville Predators. I feel like we're going to see some change there at the wild card spot. But for you, like, what teams do you want to address right off the top that maybe will be looking very different than what they maybe were in the Western Conference last season? Yeah, I mean, it's not even necessarily for me about the the biggest changes or whatnot. I, I'm just looking at it as the Western Conference as a whole – it's trash. It's bad. <laughs> I mean, I how many teams in the West scare you? Other than Colorado. Yeah. I mean, Colorado scares you. I think like the Oilers when they're, they're clicking can scare you. That's what I'm saying. When they're clicking, yeah, you have right. to throw these caveats out there where, where it's like if you go to the Eastern Conference, you know, it's like Tampa scares me, Carolina scares me, Florida scares me, Pittsburgh still scares me. Toronto in the regular season still scares me. Um, the Rangers probably still scare you. And you compare, compare that to the West, and it's like the only team that you can unequivocally, without unequivocally, without any caveat, say, this team is scary, this team is elite, is Colorado. And yeah. you kind of look through, I mean, Minnesota, I, I think, finished right, I think, fifth in the league overall standings. And I think they're at serious risk of uh, regression. I wonder if this is the year where they sort of get exposed for their lack of talent down the middle because, I mean, for starters, Ryan Hartman scored 34 goals last season. Ryan Hartman. Mid-season, he had more 5-5 five and five points than Connor McDavid. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be happening again. And the big departure, of course, was Kevin Fiala who really made their second line click. And that was huge because not only be, not only because you subtract him from the lineup, their second line center last year was Frederick Goudreau, who went from not even being a regular NHL player to popping 44 points. And he's not exactly the sort of young player. How much will Fiala's departure hurt Goudreau down the middle? And at that point... Your left, your 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 center depth is Erickson Eck, who's a beast, but then Goudreau and um, and Hartman, who I I, I don't think he's going to be able to replicate this sort of year that he had. And then even Marcus Felino had his first forty point season of his career, and so I look at Minnesota and they'll they'll have some talent, right? A full season of Matt Boldy will help. Marco Rossi could make the team, make the team, and, and maybe he's able to solidify the center position, but. The Wild aren't. I don't think they're, they're going to be as good as they were last season. For example, no, and and you you kind of bring it up like yeah, they have some young players that are coming, and they even down the road they have some one of the one of the higher Great talented pipeline. prospect pools right now. But it's not like one of those players is going to come in and get you sixty points in the rookie season. Yeah, exactly. They don't have you know. There's no Connor Bedard coming down the pipeline for them right now. Uh, I think that they're deep. They have a lot of guys that can really help in the kind of second, third, fourth line spots, as well as even something on their defense core. But Minnesota, this next season, I think might just be the start. Like that might be the first step into the water and you get deeper and deeper before this team actually like really has to do a rebuild yeah. because of the cap situation that they're going to find themselves in here. Mm-hmm. And but like, man, they got Brock Faber now in the organization. Like this, this prospect pool in Minnesota 
even though they're about to probably be in some pretty rough times for the organization and how a general manager is going to have to operate, you know, you got to give props to Judd Brackett for what he's been able to do over there, man. Yeah, really well. So, but yeah, I mean, for next season, I don't think, I don't think they're going to be as, uh, as good. Obviously with Vegas, I'm sure you guys talked about the Robin Leonard injury and yeah. How far could Vegas fall from 94 points? I I don't, I don't think that far because they, are they going to be around there again? Like, are they going to be, just out of reach of a wild card spot, a team the Canucks have to battle with for a wild card spot. Is that where you see them? I think it depends on how good Jack Eichel is. Mm. And the reason I say that is because Eichel has the potential to be, when he's on his game, playing to his potential, top 10 player in the NHL. Yeah. If Eichel is that, it really raises the ceiling of what this Golden Knights team could be. Now, if Eichel is what he was last season, where he was coming off of that neck injury and he's... I don't want to say shadow of himself, but he's playing nowhere near his potential. That's where you're looking at, okay, could Vegas sort of slip? And losing Patch Ready to... I, I still think Vegas has a solid enough blue line. I still think that they have enough weapons to where they're going to be a dangerous team again. I think they underperformed their talent level pretty clearly last season. So I don't know if... I wouldn't look at them as they're going to slip even further from where they were last season. I just don't look at them as a lock to be, let's say first or second in the, in the Pacific, the way you would in, in most seasons when, when we talk about the golden Knights, right? I don't look at them as this scary contender anymore. They're, they're a team that uh, can make the playoffs, but they've got flaws. They've got holes. And I mean, even, even uh, another Western conference team, I think they'll, I, I still believe they'll make the playoffs because the competition just is, just isn't that weak, but we're talking about the top teams in the West. St. Louis Blues, even even for them, they lost David Perron. They weren't able to upgrade their top four, which was a major need for them. I mean, they kept Nick Letty, who was decent for them in the playoffs, but what people don't realize in St. Louis is Letty was kind of on a PDO bender, which made the fit look a lot better than I actually think it is. And so I still have concerns about the blue line. And then they also lose Vili Huso, who, who, who Huso obviously lost the starting job in the playoffs and Bennington was, was good again. I don't think pe- enough people are talking about the uncertainty of, of St. Louis's situation in goal because Huso really carried them in the regular season. Man, Bennington was really average, really average in the regular right. season. Huso, there was a while where like he was ripping up the lead. There was times where you would see like whatever last three weeks and he was, doing better than Shesterkin at times. It was like, well, like, Huso really did, I wouldn't say, like, carried the team, but there was times where he really added to them being able to put up, you know, 109 points last year. Yeah, so they're still an offensive juggernaut, but between their their back end and their goaltending, again, they're not, in my opinion, an elite team, right? And and this is important not only in the sense of, like, are the Canucks going to be con- contending with these teams, but you play these teams in the West, you're, that's your most frequent competition. Obviously, within your division yeah. matters the most, but... That's your competition, and I don't see, I don't see a lot of top teams that you look at and go, they got way better. I mean, I, I think Edmonton had a good offseason in terms of addressing their needs, being able to keep Evander Kane and upgrading their goaltending, and I think Brett Kulak's a great fit for them. So Edmonton is uh, still going to be a good team, and, and LA obviously took another step with the Fiala uh, addition. But again, I think the West is just overall, it's it's a lot weaker than the East. I- I agree with you looking at top-end strength of this team, but like you look at the Pacific Division, the way it finished last year, Calgary, Edmonton, L.A. 
are those the three teams that are your best in the Pacific again next year? Because to me, I, I think so. I, I think there's going to be some questions of just how the Calgary Flames roster shakes out, but I think you're going to get a similar, very good defensive team that has a little, has, you know, a good touch of scoring. Huberto is no joke for a scorer. I know yeah. they lost Matthew Kachuk, but... Third in you know, points last year. And they add, they add weaker, like... They add to their defense Calgary's, core, which is already Calgary's good. really good. Yeah, they've got they've got one of the best blue lines in the NHL. Out of those three teams, like we talked about it, yeah, none of them are like standout elite like the Avalanche. Every team we kind of mentioned like has to have something go right. Yeah. Which three teams would you think, if something does go right, has the best potential to be elite out of these three? Because I like I don't like the Canucks are going to have to really have everything go their way to get one of those three Pacific spots, right? Because I don't think that unless just the wheels fall off of the Flames, Oilers, or Kings. Those are my three next year. Like the Kings are only getting better. You talked about the Oilers off season. The Flames are going to be a very good team again. Like it's going to be to me the Canucks are fighting for a wild card spot. Yeah, I think they're still fighting for a wild card spot. Yeah. Wild card spot personally, they could sneak into third if uh, if a team if a team goes through injuries or whatnot, I think. In terms of who it's a tough it's a tough one because I don't think there's a clear cut in terms of who's the best in the division. I, I don't I wouldn't put LA in that conversation. You say things bounce this team's way this season. Which one do you think is the best? Like not everything goes perfect, yeah. but just they get a good few bounces. I'm torn between Edmonton and Calgary. Yeah. The reason I say that is I Yeah, I think I think for me it's I'd really have to sort of Deep dive into each team's uh, into their 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 rosters, but I think it'd be for me one of the Alberta teams because Calgary is still. Although, I think, I think Fiala's Tanev's gonna, injured too, right? Yeah, I think that's Fiala coming blow. in though to the Kings, like to add that much offense to a team that's already like just has so much young talent that like he's a really good. Like I think that's an excellent move that the Kings made going for Fiala. Just yeah. like listen, they they didn't. Yeah, they gave up Brock Faber. That's a really good prospect, great name, but the LA Kings are needed that little, just kind of you know they needed the stick a little bit to push them into that spot. I think they can almost be there with their forward group already. I think if Jack Campbell can stay, it can be good, which isn't. I mean, he's a goalie. Who knows? And, <laughs> yeah. and we saw him. Campbell was in the first half of the season, in in the fringes of the Vesna conversation, and then the second half he was one of the worst goalies in the NHL. Yeah. So he's he's a wild card, but if he is good, that's such a big upgrade for their oh, goaltending situation. Yeah. It's massive, and then you keep Kane for a whole season, which really solidifies the the top nine situation, and and that's important because the Oilers aren't a one line team anymore. Mm-hmm. They just aren't, especially the more that they're able to have enough depth to where they don't have to play Drysaddle and McDavid. Uh, together, they can play them apart and still have enough talent to, to make it work. I felt in the playoffs that like their defense, like their defenseman, isn't that bad either. Like they have made some improvements. In, yeah, like, they, they, they lack high end. They yeah. lack high end pieces, but they're serviceable, especially right. with a guy like Kulak. So Edmonton could be could could be dangerous, but again, they're also like that's the sort of team where this is why I say there's no real clear cut standout elite teams. Because again, if you throw a major McDavid or Drysdale injury yes, into the equation, exactly. all of a sudden things could change on a flip on a dime. Yeah, and I think that's why, the, like the other part of the question is a pretty easy answer. If things don't, like if something goes bad for a team, the biggest one that's going to drop is the Oilers. To me, like you know, the Flames have a strong team. The Kings have a lot of different options. If they're the most dependent on top end yeah. talent. Well, with that being said, having a good discussion there, I think 
we're kind of both in the camp now where looking at the poll question, 17.3% of people saying first or second, 36.3% saying third in the division, 312 saying the wild card, 15% saying miss the playoffs. So the two that we kind of pointed them in, it's picking up about 46% of the vote with them being a wild card team or missing the playoffs. Like I, I can, and it happens every year. Like there's going to be a surprise. Somewhere, oh yeah. Right. Like the Canucks could be third in this division. They could be second. Absolutely. And the way that it happens, it's going to depend on how it goes for every team. There might be some real good clicking going on with the Vancouver Canucks. There might be some things falling apart with one of the three teams that we kind of put as our locks uh, for the Pacific Definitely. winners anyways. So it could go either way, but I think, you know, I'm kind of in the camp of third place wildcard spot just because so many freak things happen in the NHL. I think that's the way I'm going to go with it. Definitely. All right. So we'll move on now. Let's get a quick prospect report, then we'll get out of here. This episode's already gone pretty long, uh, so that's why you get paid the big bucks, Harm. You make it easy, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I'll give my prospects report here, and I know we'll chat. We'll bring in for a little bit of the World Junior talk as well. Um, so Yanni Yermo, Jacob Truscott, Jonathan Karamaki, all off to the quarterfinals finals with their team. It, it's kind of the same thing I said last week. Like, you know, Yermo's been pretty impressive with his skating ability, his ability to break out on his own with – not even really necessarily using the passing, but just his pure speed and being able to break out in these tournaments, still staying big and strong against guys in the corner, which is what I really like to see. Have you seen anything different from Yermo? Just kind of athletic, right? Like that's all you have to really say about the guy. He's more athletic than a lot of these people at this tournament. Yeah, I really like the escapability. The challenge with Yermo, especially because he's one of the older players in the tournament, is I, I really want to see how this translates back in Finland at the professional level. Yeah. Because it's it's easier, I think, at a junior level to rely on your athletic gifts. Now, again, I don't want to take anything away from Yermo because he made the team, worked his way uh, onto an everyday role, and he's looked he's looked good. He's looked steady. Obviously, he hasn't been perfect, but we've seen him able to escape pressure and show the type of size and skating combination that explains why the Canucks drafted him in the first place. Going to the professional level, though, especially because he already has the size and speed, I think now he really needs to assert himself in more of an impact role. I think we saw him in in Liga sort of bounce around in, a, in, in different roles. He was a pretty consistent contributor on the blue line, but he wasn't necessarily like their go-to sort of defenseman. I think this is a year where you're hoping that he could be more of a go-to guy, especially because... When a player already has the physical tools, and you heard, for example, when a guy like Klimovich, um, when the Canucks were making a decision on him, and Ryan Johnson, for example, said, usually the worry about a young player at the professional level is, are they physically ready? And in the case of a Klimovich, it, that wasn't the concern. So similarly with Yermo over in Finland, he's he's got the physical tools. He just needs that. He, he just needs the brain in, in the hockey sense to, to catch up and to make plays, to play fast enough, right? There's a difference between being fast and actually playing fast in hockey, and it all comes down to how quickly you make decisions on what's your next play going to be. Do you do you innately have a sense of where your teammates are, or, or do you need to get your head up and look at where your options are? And that's where, again, I've liked what I've seen from him at the World Juniors. Now I'm, I'm looking for him to really take the next step in being a high-end contributor uh, over in Finland. Yeah, the way I would look at it is like, this is Yanni Yermo's last chance of like being a junior, right? Yeah. Whether it be like him graduating from the U- from the J20 leagues in Finland, 
this is like the last thing. It's like, okay, show what you're good at. Show what you want to work at the next level when you're going back. Like he played pro last year for sure, but there weren't many highlights even, not even like a highlight goal that he went, you know, coast to coast and scored. Just the things that we're seeing in the World Juniors that he's doing so well, you you don't see that that often in the Finnish League because players are, you know, a good step faster in the Finnish League. It's not a slouch league. It's a good league. And they're able to stop him or poke the puck away or put the extra pressure on him that makes him make the mistake. And it, it just feels like in the World Juniors, he's able to backtrack with the puck. Then he uses he uses the net really well to, like, block the forechecker off and then space. as soon as he gets a step he's quick enough to beat the guy almost every time he did it against Canada like you know that's impressive I think to me is that he was still able to beat you know it wasn't like he was beating a, a third line guy on Germany he was beating like top end talent there was a time where he walked the blue line around Connor Bedard Bedard comes back and scores the other way but man you couldn't stop <laughs> that that goal from Connor Bedard that was ridiculous so like I, I think it's kind of to me, I I really think that I'm I'm kind of in the same camp as you, where it's like take your strengths that you've done at this tournament for sure, but now work on the other things and do it at the pro level, but also be a little confident from what you just did at this tournament. And there's still a long ways to go. We're moving into the quarterfinals now, so see if he plays well against these good teams can, and he continues to do that. I think that would be massive. So we'll we'll quickly just kind of breeze over Jacob Truscott because I think we're in the same camp here of like the things that we like about Truscott that he's changed in his game. Like when he was drafted, he's thinks he's a two way guy. He wants to be a little bit more offensive. That's what he wants to do at Michigan. Then he gets paired up with Luke Hughes at Michigan and basically just has to change his whole game. And he's a defensive guy first. He's just a make the good first pass out when you get the opportunity to do that. Well, that's what he's doing at this whole world juniors. Like he's more physical than I thought, which has been nice to see, but just defensive being the guy who's always staying back. I know I got a question on Twitter saying, was he like Chris Tanev? mindset as a defenseman similar in that way of just like I'm not trying to be the guy who's going to be flashy and put up goals if there's enough ice for me to take a shot I'm going to take it but otherwise give it to Luke Hughes let him go to work so I don't think there's much more for you to add on Truscott there I don't know if, what you've liked no I don't really have much more to, to add on him and then LeCarrie Mackey was really good really good game uh, for LeCarrie Mackey I thought against Germany I thought that was the best game of his tournament the best period that he had in the first period there he sets up a goal on the power play where he's been excellent uh, I think that's a spot where we're not worried about him at all but 5 on 5 and effort level getting involved not being a passenger being too much on the perimeter all those questions that we've had about him in a tournament where we shouldn't worry because he's got two more runs at this tournament after this one but it was nice to see him get involved and not be on the perimeter I thought he did a really good job against Germany in that role and actually creating plays and, and you could see it even on the the assist that he got on the power play was because he went into the boards hard retrieved the puck in a board battle skated it up got it to the point got a secondary assist out of it. he got rewarded for putting in the work and he didn't put in the work that well I thought in the first three games and he wasn't really rewarded for it but you could see I don't know uh, maybe it was because it was Germany but I feel like somebody got in his ear and was like you know you got to get going into these corners. You got to work harder. It just felt like that in the Germany game. I thought that was his best game of the tournament by far. Yeah, and with Lekaramaki again, we talk about age with Yermo. It's it's the opposite case with Lekaramaki, and and he's one of the youngest players of the tournament. Which it, you might look at look at it and be and say they're only what like two three years sometimes uh, of a difference between players in, in in this tournament. But that matters a ton at that age. I mean, think about all these junior leagues and. Let's say the WHL or the OHL, the difference between like an overager or a 20-year-old and the difference between a 17-year-old is, is massive. And yeah. so I think that's really important context to keep in mind with LeCaramaki. Kind of like you mentioned, 
we like at least for me, I didn't expect him to come into his, into this tournament and really dominate or really I was even shocked on day one of the tournament when he's playing in the top six. Exactly. I was shocked. I was like, I wow, holy I, cow! I didn't. My expectations honestly weren't high at all for him. Yeah. And I always say, take what happens at the World Juniors, whether it's for better or for worse, with a grain of salt. Because think back to Elias Pettersson, who was one of the older players in his draft class, and when he when he had his draft plus one. World Junior, which this isn't even technically like Karamaki's. This is technically his draft year World Junior. Yeah. So he's got his his next one will be will be the one equivalent to Pedersen's. Pedersen had an okay tournament he produced, but the talk was about Casey Middlestat dominating, and, and it's like <laughs> now let's let's compare Pedersen and Middlestat, yeah. right? So great example. Uh, that's why with Lakaramaki, it's good to see him get get more involved. We it's we we knew he was going to be productive and and helpful in the power play, so. Overall, I think it's uh, it's been a decent sign for him to at least be involved and uh, put up a few points here and there. Yeah, multi point game uh, against Germany there, and that it, it just showed from how hard he worked in that thing. It'd be it would be nothing but positive for the rest of this tournament, no matter what happens. Kind of with me and Lukaku, just like the way I said at the start of the tournament is like if he plays in every game for Sweden, that's that's a win. Exactly, as, it's as a guy who would have been process. Yeah, he would have been seven. He just turned eighteen. Yeah. would have been 17 you mentioned it would have been the the pre-draft tournament for him that's huge and to do it on Sweden one of the the big four yeah. at this tournament's big uh so we'll wrap it up there world juniors we'll, we'll have a lot more talk on Saturday's show as we kind of get into the uh the the playoff rounds what do you call it the uh like final rounds I don't know no away from the uh from the prelims kind of thing uh Dimitri Zlodiev let's chat about him the center over in the KHL he has three preseason goals now he scored two in a game uh, a KHL exhibition game the other day nice to see him having a little bit of success over there we'll see what happens I watched a Jonathan Myrenberg game and was really impressed like a lot of really good things for him uh getting a chance in the Alsvenskan um so it's gonna be kind of nice to watch him grow in that league I already thought he might have been one of, if not the best defenseman for his team, the Alsvenskan in that exhibition game where they were actually playing against an SHL team. So that was huge. And I just thought that, yeah, really good start for him in the first uh, first time he's wearing the Mora jersey. And then Lucas Forsell, I might have talked about this on the last episode, scored uh, an SHL exhibition goal on the power play. And that was nice for him to kind of not only score, but in exhibition play for him to already be on the power play, like, Bodes well for him to be in the top nine in the SHL. He's still 18 years old. Really impressive. Um, and Myronberg, just quickly, like he is also eligible for the World Juniors that is coming up in December. So I'd keep an eye on that because if he plays really well in the Elsvenskin like I expect him to, he's already on their radar. He was already invited to their camp uh, for the 2023 camp that they just had a couple of weeks ago. Scored a goal in an exhibition game where Sweden was playing as well. So... Uh, yeah, keeping an eye on Myronberg, I think that would be huge for him to get an opportunity to play for the World Juniors in December. All right, Harm. We've gone pretty long here. We'll wrap it up. Appreciate you stepping in. Uh, we'll let you get back on the moped, drive home. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not the moped. Downtown Vancouver. I know you're ready for it. Um, so, yeah. Appreciate everyone tuning in for another episode, episode 288 of the Canucks Conversation. We'll wrap it up there. We'll be back uh, on Saturday with our next show here. I think uh, i got to work on some co-hosts for that. We'll figure out who's going to be on the show. Do I have enough money to pay for Harm? We'll find that out on Saturday. But thank you. To everyone who tuned in to episode 288 of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim?